Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's like, it's a little like politics. You just have to try and do the best you can. Say what you know. Offer an opinion, say it's an opinion, and see how it goes. But I mean, we're we're in a really powerful position. I, I'm I'm in front of now they may be the same people, but probably forty to fifty million people a week. The president of the United States isn't in front of fifty million people a week. I, you know, it's like it may be for a second or thirty seconds. And believe me, they're always a lot smarter than I am too. But it's like you build a relationship and people know that you're going to try and give them something honest and something that's right without crossing lines or embarrassing people on purpose. But, you know, we, we work for whoever it is that's watching, not, not the team, not the player, not the quarterback, not the coach. Welcome to the latest episode of Just Getting Started. We've had an incredible run here uh, with this season on the voices of the NFL. Starts with Al Michaels, and it should only be fitting that it finishes right here with my friend from NBC and also from the NFL 100 all-time team show, Chris Collinsworth, here on Just Getting Started. How are you, Chris? I'm good. God, does that show seem like it was a million years ago or what? Well, the crazy thing is, is, is that... You know, we're we're recording this show right now, just a, a week after you and Al did the Sunday night game of Brady's return to New England, and we saw Brady and Bill together in what wound up being the spring right before their final season together. And we were all like looking for any symbol or sign or smoke signal of what was going on because Tom wasn't showing up for his OTAs. And, you know, and I just was going back and forth with maybe they were uncomfortable because it was the first segment we shot of the entire six episode series and Bill hadn't done TV before. But that was an interesting run, to say the least, Chris, for that. Yeah, you know, and. The truth is always somewhere in between, right? You and right. I do a hundred thousand interviews a year. I think I did thirty thousand today. So I'm, <laughs> I, I feel like that sort of our job for America is to sort of slice it down, right? Like I'm going to talk to them, to somebody, and they're going to give me some BS, and then I'm going to talk to that person, they're going to give me some BS, and I'm going to talk to that person, <laughs> they're going to give me some BS, and somewhere in between lies the truth. And do we always get it right? Our version of the truth? No, I'm, you know, we don't, but it's like, it's a little like politics. You just have to try and do the best you can say what, you know, offer an opinion, say it's an opinion and see how it goes. But I mean, we're, we're in a really powerful position. You know, we talked to 
I mean, I, I, well, I tried to break it down one time when I was doing Thursday nights and Sunday nights. No, I was there was too like, for that. I, I'm, I'm in front of, now they may be the same people, but probably 40 to 50 million people a week. The president of the United States isn't in front of 50 million people a week. I, you know, it's like, it may be for a second or 30 seconds. And believe me, they're always a lot smarter than I am too. But it's like, you build a relationship and people know that you're going to try and give them something honest and something that's right without crossing lines or embarrassing people on purpose. But, you know, we, we work for whoever it is that's watching, not, not the team, not the player, not the quarterback, not the coach. And so that's what we try to get done. And I know you do too. I know. I feel the same way, Chris. And, you know, I had that front row seat for your double dip years, Thursday nights and and, oh, yeah. and Saturdays, you know, when you, you helped launch Thursday night football on, on NFL network. And obviously you were doing Sunday nights on, on, on NBC and you were with Fox before all that. And the name of this podcast is just getting started. And I've been asking everybody how they got started in their careers. And obviously Al, as you might imagine, had quite a lot of stories to tell. How did you get started in the broadcasting business, Chris? I honestly don't know. I was, <laughs> I mean, right, sometimes you choose it and sometimes it chooses you. Um, I was in law school when I actually, my final two years of playing with the Bengals, I got cut. I had just gotten married. Um, and literally 10 months, thank God, 10 months after the wedding was the birth of our first child. So my wife was pregnant, uh, Holly. And so I'm, so I'm cut and I'm going, Hey, looks like I'm going to be a lawyer. Okay. No big deal. And then I got a call from uh, Rick Bernstein and Ross Greenberg at HBO. Hmm. And they said, would you like to do features on inside the NFL? And I said, well, how much does it pay? And they said, $50,000. And I said, the answer is yes. <laughs> Now tell me what's a feature. And I didn't know. I didn't know what they wanted me to do. I thought, you know, because they had asked me during my career to go on and be interviewed. They had asked me to do like a Christmas scene thing where I read some silly, you know, I don't know, story on the air. And Nick Bonacani and I used to go on there and fight all the time. And, and I guess somewhere along the line, they go, well, that was good. And I go, okay. And so then I traveled the country and I was, I was doing these features. Well, about with that, within a week, Bob Trumpy decided that he wanted to cut back at WLW radio. And because he was the number one broadcaster on NBC. So he cut back on his nights on the radio. So they said, would you like to come in and fill in when he can't do it? And I go, how much does it pay? <laughs> I mean, that's all we're all there. Sure. And, and so I, I was like, okay, I took that job. And then, and I'm still in law school. And then at later in the year, Dick Eversall, cause they need garbage broadcasters, right? They need guys <laughs> to do the bottom end game. So four times a year, they have games that only go to one city. That it, it's they're so the games are so bad, it's never sold out in the one city, and then so it's only broadcast. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they have in, at NBC they would have this map of the United States. Sure. 
and on it, they would have stars. You know, they'd have green stars for the Cowboys and it would take up three quarters of the country. And they'd have, you know, red stars for the Washington football team. And then they'd have blue stars for those. And then they would have one star for the game that I did because that meant it was only going to one tiny little market in the middle of the country. And so I'm like, well, I should just do the game. Like I'd like to say hi to George down at the hardware store. You know, cause it's like only a handful of people are going to be watching and you can't imagine how much trouble I got in just being in one market because when you're doing talk radio, you got to be crazy to just survive. Like you got to throw out junk to stir up the pot and get people to call in and all that kind of stuff. So what I knew about broadcasting was doing talk radio. So I'm I'm throwing out heaters left and right on these games. Oh my, I was so bad. I, so I, I mean, was, if you think I was, I'm bad now, it was like it was. No, you're horrible. definitely not bad. I was just wondering, like, they, instead of a start, it would be a bottle of milk because, like, that's what they're milk games. It's two percent of the country, one percent of the country. Like, they're those are the that's the, that's the audience you were getting. But who so. Who was doing the play-by-play? Who were you hooked up with for your first game broadcast? A guy named Jim Donovan. You know Jim? Sure, the name rings He's in Cleveland. He does the local news, and he does the games on radio for them. Uh And it was a game in Cleveland, and so he knew everything about the Browns. And so David Michaels is my producer. And so David comes in to the room on Saturday night, and he said, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to do this? Actually, it was on Friday night. It was on Friday afternoon. Uh-huh. So how you how are you going to do this? And I had like, what do they call Manila envelopes, you know, that you like show folders and yeah, know. yeah. So I, I I was I was I said, well, I'm just going to write the names on this thing. <laughs> and I thought I was way ahead of the curve. Right. right? I, sure. I, I was like, I'm going to blow him away. I'm actually going to write down the names and numbers of these guys on this little folding thing. And David is only David can do, which I love David. He was like, oh my God, (laughs) I can still still remember his his face. So he used to work with Terry Bradshaw and doing games. And he goes, listen, this is gonna be a train wreck. I can't believe they gave me you. And, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make this work. So he calls Terry and he said, Terry, you know, those boards that you've had made up and they were like this big yeah. to put all the things in there. He goes, can you just FedEx me one of those? I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try and help a guy that's going to have the shortest broadcasting career. In <laughs> but let's see if we can get him through this game. Cause I don't want to ruin my career too. Bro. Well, okay. So he sends it out and I write all the names and the bigger things. And I, he tells me, you know, you should take little notes and here's things you could talk about. And they gave me some newspaper. Now, remember, this is like in 90, in 89, in 89. And so literally there's no internet. There's no, you know, now I, I couldn't get through all the information and film that I have now if I never slept and worked on this 24 hours a day all year long. Because it, it's just, it's everywhere. It's, there's information everywhere. PFF has quadrupled my life with information. I bet. And so, you know, we finally get out and I go do the game. And I, I think I'm just literally brilliant by the time I get off the air. And we come back and a few weeks later, the same team comes back and does it again. And they're all having breakfast at the local IHOP or whatever. 
So I go down and meet them and I've got a big smile on my face. And I it was like thinking they were going to tell me how great I was. And, uh, and then they, they go walking in and they said, I said, what are you guys doing? He goes, oh, we we're just talking about the game. We all felt like we did a really good job. And, and then there was you. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And they started proceeding to tell me everything in the world I'd ever done wrong. I mean, it was like, wow. So I, I literally thought that I was going to have, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through the four games that ever saw signed before. I mean, it really was like that. And, uh, but they didn't want to hire anybody else and, and, or nobody else would accept what they were paying me. It was probably more like it. I swear to you, we did a game, we did a game on the West coast one time The my flight, the ticket to get me to the game was more than I was making doing the game. I was like, can I just do it from the house and cash this sucker in? I go, I'll just swear, I'll talk loudly. I'll do the whole thing. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So did you like at some point think that this wasn't going to work or, and you were just doing it just to see where it was going? I mean, like, is that where, like, is there a point where, you know, you thought it wasn't going to happen? I oh mean, yeah. What do you think? Oh, for sure. And, and the, the radio in many ways, I, I sort of marvel at people that are really good on the radio. Uh, the radio in many ways was the hardest thing I was doing um, because you're, in a local market, I'm mm -hmm. talking about the Reds or the Bengals or the Bearcats or Xavier University or whatever. And I've got a wife and kids and three other jobs and going to law school. So it wasn't like I could sit around and watch every game that was played and no internet. So there was no, there was no faking it right. at that point. You get exposed. And then they started wanting me to read these 60 second commercials live on the air which sounds really easy when somebody like you does it. It sounds really easy. <laughs> it's nice. And I'm say. on there and I'm screwing this stuff up so badly. And I'm getting, now I'm starting to get nervous doing them. Now my voice is shaking while I'm trying to do them. And it's just you and a microphone, right? right? And this and Trumpy had created this monster audience out there. And, and I, I mean, it was, I, I think I even told Holly one time, I go, listen, I hope I'm a better lawyer than I am a broadcaster. This is not going to last very long. I might be able to fake my way through like the features and some of that stuff, but this is really hard. This is really hard. And, um, I, you know, somehow I'm still doing this, like whatever it is, 30 something years later. I mean, it's, un it's, un I mean, I, you could not start lower 
on the totem pole than where I was. You, there is no way you can start lower. Well, it takes hard work to get up that ladder and, and determination, and obviously you kept doing it. So when did you uh, tap out of law school? When did things kind of turn where it's like, okay, um, let's just leave the lawyer stuff aside and let's keep following the broadcasting? When did that happen? Well, I, I graduated in 91 because I could only go part-time. Um, it took me five years to get through there. Wow. They offered me tenure when I left, which I thought was only appropriate. <laughs> and I, I, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm a part of every graduating class, but I wasn't graduating. You know, like, so I, I knew everybody in the school. And of course they knew me because I used to play the Bengals. Yeah. So it was just like, you know, I'd get in a class and they'd make me debate somebody in a, in a, some debate over a case. And I'm, I, you know, I was, by then I'm doing talk radio. I'm just firing stupid stuff out, but you know, having fun. But I really thought, and I told Holly this multiple times, I go, listen, this is going to last a year, you know, and then the next quarterback's going to come out and then they're going to take my place. And then, uh, you know, I'll go back and I'll be a lawyer. Well, it lasted for two years. And so then when I graduated, I, I literally couldn't sit for the bar exam because you've got to take like at least three or four months and just go cram and study. And so either the cram and study was during the middle of football season when I was doing all this stuff. But, and by then I was doing more games uh, or... It was at the beginning of the year where I, I just couldn't do it. It was in football season. Um, so I never did. I always thought that there was going to come a time when I would just literally go, thank you very much, shake everybody's hand and go back and be an attorney. And I just never did. I, it's as stunning to me as it is to anybody else. I really swear to you. And part of me still feels that way a little bit that eh, I, I'm not going to be able to pass the bar, but you know, maybe I can find somebody to take it for me. I don't know. You know, we'll figure something out. So Cosell's not the only guy with a law degree that Al Michaels has worked with, is basically what you're saying. I had no idea you actually have a law degree. Yeah. Chris yeah, law degree, but um, but I'm not a lawyer. So okay. that? that's a kind of it's like I have an accounting degree, but I'm not right. I've never been an accountant. So go figure it all. So then stuff. you wound up in the booth with Joe and Joe Buck and Aikman, right? Like, is that, that's, was that your, yeah, that I guess, big break? Later, though, because was that the big break for you, pretty much? Was that um, it? Right actually, there? Tom Hammond was a big break for me. And I don't know how many people know about Tom Hammond, but I love Tom Hammond. Tom Hammond taught me more about broadcasting than no any kidding. human being alive. And our big break again came when Trumpy didn't want to work. <laughs> Trump, Trumpy decided that he did not want to do the Orange Bowl. And by this time, I'm doing Notre Dame games. And Trumpy decided that they wanted to do the NFL playoff game instead of the Orange Bowl. So they asked us to do the Orange Bowl. And it was for the national championship. And so I was like, okay, great. And it's Miami and Nebraska. And we go down, and the night before the game, Tommy Roy, do you know Tommy, the producer at NBC? I do not. Golf. He does. Fantastic guy, fantastic guy. And Tommy decides that since we've been doing some college football, but I was mostly NFL, that they really need to get the referees in and have us talk about the difference between NFL rules and college rules, right? So I was like, great. 
Fantastic. So this ends up being like an hour long meeting. I wish I could name the officials. I can't. Um, but they were great. And they, they really were very good at explaining the differences of what they were. So we get into the national championship game. And I swear to you, Rich, like eight of these things came up, like happened in the friggin' game. Mm. And so as soon as they came up, I'm like, well, yeah, if the guard pulls out and then he does this thing and that's illegal and you can't do it now, it wouldn't be illegal in the NFL. Sound like a genius, you know, and I'm literally just regurgitating what happened the night before. So there were a couple of articles written the next day about, you know, wow, this guy really is on as he's smart. He knows exactly what, you know, one of those kind of things. And I'm like... Tommy, if you had not called those referees, there's no way I would have known any of that stuff. So, you know, it's funny, and you probably have a thousand people in your life like this too. It, it's like there are people along the way that nobody is ever going to know it. You know, David Michaels, nobody knew that he got that board from Terry Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. Tom Hammond wore me out about anything I was doing wrong or, you know, but was just a fantastic teacher of the business. Tommy Roy comes up with this unbelievable, bringing the referees in and teaching it. So a lot of times, okay, I I work hard at it. I really do. I try my best to, to, you know, everybody else in the world works all week. I work all week so that they don't have to, and I'll try and help them watch the game. That's the the way I look at it. That is great, Chris. But it takes luck, you know, Rich, it takes luck along the way to just string together to come from the eighth broadcast team at the bottom and have a career as long as I've had. It's like, thank God, I I have no idea how it happened. Well, I'll share this with you, Chris. So uh, at NFL Network, you know, which we launched in 03 and we, 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 we turn the lights on week 11, 2003. And, you know, we all hope that this is going to work out, you know, and we all believe like it's a very calculated risk bet, certainly since I'm leaving ESPN and I'm, I'm going there and all of us there were just like, just trying to put one foot in front of the other and build something and build something and build something. And rumor has it in 2005 that the league is going to restart Thursday night football and put it on. NFL Network, which was huge for us. And the first thought I had was to walk into Steve Bornstein's office, who is my rabbi. He was smart enough to hire me twice at ESPN then at NFL Network, because a dream of mine is to is to call play-by-play in football with regularity. I mean, everybody in studio wants to be at the games. And a lot of people at the games want to be in studio. That's kind of, you're already nodding your head. That's That's the way things work in our business. So anyway, I go into Steve's office and I tell him, you know, uh, if we're going to get the football package, I would like to call the football games. And he says to me, not a chance. And I'm like, what do you mean not a chance? Do you not believe in me? He goes, Richie boy. It's how he's referring. Richie boy. I believe in everything you can do. That's why you're here. You're one of the best at doing what I hired you to do. You're not gonna be leaving the studio because if i i need you to host the pre and the halftime because if i put you in the booth i gotta hire somebody else for that and i'm like who are you gonna hire then to do the games he goes i don't know who's calling the games all i know who's doing the play-by-play all i know is who i want is my analyst and i'm like who and he says there's only one guy 
and it was you. And he goes, that's, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like nodded my head and he goes, there's no one else in the business that he said that would be even considerate. It was you. And the fact that you did the games, Chris, was so huge. And obviously, Bryant Gumble for crying out loud, calling the it games with you. With it was. I, I love Bryant, by the way. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and, but for us at the network where we were just putting one foot in front of the other, the fact that someone of your caliber, and obviously Bryant's as well, would say, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll put our brand on NFL networks and go for it. It meant so much to us, but I wanted to share with you, Bornstein was like, I don't know who's calling the games. I know it's not you, and I know who the analyst is. It's going to be Collinsworth. Well, and that I was know the why he hired you so many times, because you can't say no to that man. He, I know. he came down to That's Orlando, right. Florida. My parents uh, were there at dinner with me, and it's Steve and my mom and dad and me. At Christini's in Orlando, if you've never been there, it's a great place. And, and he launches into this sales pitch. Uh, you would have thought I, I was some combination of JFK and Jesus Christ. I'm like, uh, he's on my, he's recruiting my mom more than he is me. Mm -hmm. And I, I've never heard, I've never heard a sales pitch like this in my whole life. And I'm like, Steve, come on, man. I go, <laughs> what are you doing? This is like, you're out of your mind. I mean, he just would, he was relentless on this thing. Um, but you couldn't say no to him. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like, God, how do I say no to that? You right. know, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. So, but it was fun. You know, I mean, Brian and, and you know, people are going to nitpick and do his thing. And the only reason I know is because I actually tried to do play by play at one time. I don't know if you know this. Story no. Or not. So there was a time when they wanted John Madden to do the games and I'm in the studio and they, they always sort of had this dream that really two analysts doing the games. And so I would sort of do the play by play and John would be the caller, but it would be much more of like a conversation about football than like a traditional broadcast. Sort of like Peyton and Eli, I guess, right? Yeah. Everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel, you know? Yep. And, and so they flew, this was all time. So they fly a friggin' jumbo jet 747 with two bedrooms in this friggin' thing across the country. They take the whole NBC sports team <laughs> to John Madden Studios. You ever been in John's studio? I've heard it's show? like it's it's, oh, it's it, all time. I've I've hey, heard it's it's like the the uh the Skywalker Ranch of sports is what I've oh, been told. Oh, it's unbelievable. Plus in, in Pleasanton, I think that's the right name. Yeah, he it. owns the town. Like he bought he the town. He owns the town. Yes. He owns literally. the town. He literally owns the hotel, owns it, yes. the thing. And there's not like a McDonald's or a Starbucks. Like everything's a mom and pop thing. Yeah. Like he created his own personal yeah. heaven, right? He did. he did. And so we go in to do this game and I'm I'm doing the play by play. And I'm sort of like how hard can it be? <laughs> you know, like, how hard can it be? So, but I started doing some practice games before that. And so they put a microphone on me and, and um, you know, we, we had all, Merrill Hodge came and we had like a corner of the booth and they would record them and I, we would call the games. Well, I couldn't undo what I had learned to do my whole life. Like when I broadcast the game, I don't watch the football. 
I, a lot of a lot of times I lose where it is because I think Al's job is to tell you what's happening to the football, and my job is to tell you something you didn't see. So if I'm watching right. the football, I'm telling you the same thing that Al told you and that you already saw on TV. So I'm watching everything but. So when I'm trying to do play by play, now I've got to watch the football, and I I didn't really know like like. Just getting on the air. Oh, everybody, how are you? We're here in Kansas City and da da da. This team's that and this team's that. And you know, blah, 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 blah. that's a lot harder than you think it is. Just opening your show every week. People don't appreciate. And then the transition when somebody's talking in your ear and saying, All right, it's time for commercial now. And it's seven, six. And I'm trying to go, and I'm Going, we're gonna be right back. I'm like, I'm like a dancer. I'm like going with the beat of the music, you know. I'm like, I, I mean, I literally, I go, this is so goddamn hard. And finally, Eversaw comes out at the end of the first quarter. He goes, "What are you doing?" And I go, "What are you talking about?" I go, "I'm just surviving." He goes, "Stop trying to be the play-by-play guy. Just talk to John in football. Just talk football." And so we go back in and and we did. And we just started having like a conversation, but probably a little bit more like Peyton and Eli kind of thing. And then I would know, you know, a guy's name or I would do just play a mm-hmm. little bit of Adam. So at the end of this, this, you know, wild ride, we go back. And, and so now everybody's going to have a little debrief and we're, we're going to talk about all this stuff. And so Dick comes back and he goes, goes, listen, I want you to know if you want this job, it's yours. You got me? If you want this job, it's yours. Okay. He said, but I have a chance now to get Al Michaels. I said, what are you stupid? (laughs) What are you stupid? I go, get the hell out of here. Let's take the jet and go get Al. I go, (laughs) Are you crazy? I go, you're going to do me over Al Michaels? I go, I I would never do that to you. And so that's when they did the whole deal and they came down, you know, and they, in some ways I think that, and not not that anybody would ever admit, I was like, was I the leverage for Al Michaels? (laughs) Did I cost Al like a couple of million dollars? Because in his mind, there was at least a possibility that I could have been the play-by-play guy. If he just sat in the room and watched me be play-by-play guy, he would have tripled his price <laughs> instead of taking some reduction in. So there you go. Actually, I think Chris Oswald the Rabbit was the leverage in that trade that they made with oh, uh, no with uh, Disney. If you remember that, that. they made the did, trade did, for have Disney. Have you ever to seen get Oswald out. the Rabbit? Did you see it? I did not. It's uh, it's definitely a Disney character. I never thought I'd know about until Al was traded for it. You know, Rich, from, uh... look it up. This, this, all right, you want my conspiracy theory on that one? Okay, sure. I love these things anyway. Great. So Oswald the Rabbit. Let me just describe Oswald the Rabbit. So for people who don't know, it was everybody thought it was like a joke. It was like a throw-in. Al Michaels got traded for this little cartoon character, Oswald the Rabbit. Yeah, from Disney so, to NBC for Sunday Night Football. Keyword, right. key Disney to NBC. Mm-hmm. So Disney is built around one character, right? Mickey Mouse. Built around one character. The predecessor to Mickey Mouse was Oswald the Rabbit. And Oswald the Rabbit, 
is the same head, the same eyes, the same everything, only he's got long ears. He's got rabbit ears. Mm -hmm. But other than that, other than mouse ears versus long ears, it is Mickey Mouse. I'm telling you, look it up. And I, I, I'm thinking, and you know, with my massive legal training of five years, yes, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking some lawyer has his entire life sat in a back room and gone, if somebody really wanted to push, right? Mm. If somebody really wanted to challenge this, you could get in front of a jury and go, you know what? Whoever owns Oswald the Rabbit really owns Disney World. <laughs> you know, I go, you know, because this is really, this started Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse wasn't the first character. Mickey Mouse was the second character. And that means that NBC now owns Disney World and everything that goes with it. Now that's ridiculous, but I guarantee you there was some lawyer that said, I don't know how we're going to get this. Yeah, we got to button this up. Back, but we need to get that rabbit back at some point. <laughs> There you go. That's my now Michaels was the way to button that up. They got to close their back door to lose to Disney World. That is amazing. I had no idea that the idea before maybe even Al coming was was you and and Madden together. But that's Dick Ebersole, man. You're you're so fortunate to be exposed to so many incredible people in this business, and he's obviously at the top of that list, man. No human being. I'm not even sure. Yeah, my parents would be above that. My yeah. wife would be above that. But no human being outside of my family impacted my life like him. There's not a chance. When I was at Fox, um, I had another year left on my contract. And he came along and he said, this is, we, we, I worked for NBC. They lost football. I went to Fox. I did the studio for a while with Terry and Howie and those guys. And then I went and did games with Joe and Troy. And I loved all of it. Um, and, but then NBC got football back and actually Dick was the one that recommended to me and Fox knew it. So I could have gone to CBS or Fox at the time. Um, and, and Dick told me, he goes, and I was going to go to CBS cause it was like a startup show. And I said, well, I can, they can build it around me. They, these guys are already established. And he said, no, he goes, he goes, Chris, you got to go to Fox. And I said, why do I have to go to Fox? He said, you're very good at football and breaking it down and serious and you're edgy and you're all those things. He said, they're going to teach you how to have fun with broadcasting. They're going to teach you that broadcasting is more than just mm. the game. It's, it's a story. It's a, it's, it's a sense of humor. It's all those things. It's a welcome into my home. You would feel comfortable with me on your couch, like you would Terry Bradshaw or Howie Long or JB or one of those guys. And I thought about it a long time and I said, okay, because I was definitely going to be the fourth wheel on that show as opposed to the first wheel on the other. But I'm really so glad that I did. I, it was, it was, I learned a lot. But then at the end of that, when he got football back, he came to me and he said, I want you back. I, I, you you got to come back to NBC. And so I went to the guys at Fox and I said, you know, I really would like to go back if, if I can, nothing personal, but you know, this is great opportunity. And, um, and Ed Gorin flew out to see me. Um, and 
So he was going to make an offer, and NBC had already made an, an offer, an unbelievable offer at the time. Um, and so he was sitting, I was coaching a little league baseball game that night. And so he, unbeknownst to me, he loves little league baseball, mm-hmm. loves it. Mm-hmm. And he, so he was so excited. So I've got a hell of a team. We ended up winning like the whole Cincinnati <laughs> friggin'. I, mean, I built a batting cage in my house. I'm like, I was so over the top. It was ridiculous. So I've I'd always been talking about my team. We just kicked everybody's butt. And then he comes to a game. I swear to you, we're down 8-1 going into the last inning. I'm out of my mind. I don't care about Ed Gorn. I don't care about Fox. I don't care about football. I don't care about broadcasting. I'm literally out of my mind. We've, we're kicking the ball around. We're so bad this day. I'm like, I was embarrassed. And the whole time now, Ed's trying to tell me what I'm doing wrong, coaching, and how he could, how, what I should be doing, you know. And so I'm, now I'm even crazier. We come back and score eight runs in the bottom of. Get out. I think it was. Win the game. We go out to dinner. We're drinking like we just won the World Series. Having the biggest time of all time. And and that was, but it was the end of my Fox days. Because I said, this is what they want to do with me. This is what they're willing to pay me. And he goes, I won't get in the way of that. I won't get no. It goes congratulations. So he's cool. another prince too, Ed Gorin. Oh, no doubt Ed. about it. We had Nance on earlier, and he he sung Ed Gorin's praises so much, and because Ed was on CBS before he went to Fox, and it's amazing how, you know, it's it's an industry where where we all know one another. So to wrap this up, I've been I'll ask you uh, what I've been asking everybody is the final question uh, throughout this series is is what's the best piece of advice you've received, Chris, in your career, and from who? What would you say is the best piece of advice is the final question here for you? Um, wow. I, that's a really good question. Um, it came, I, I'm going to give this guy credit for something because okay. it was, it was hard to say this to me. Um, I was at Wimbledon. We were covering Wimbledon for HBO. Hmm. And so, and I was always kind of the, you know, when I, what do I know about Wimbledon? So we were always kind of the goof around film crew doing features around Wimbledon and all that kind of stuff. So one day it was like literally the fourth day of canceled tennis because of rain. I mean, it was like, it was awful everywhere. It was just awful. Poured the whole time, no matches. So they got to create programming around crap. You know, there you, you've done it before. I've done it before. It's like, sure. you know, you're in a 57 to nothing game. Like, all right, we're talk radio. Here we go. And, and so they said, go out and do a rain feature. What? Do a feature on the rain. So I end up creating this whole scenario and don't even ask me about this, but the in the punchline of the whole thing was they had a, like a parking lot that went down a hill and it's as muddy as you can possibly imagine. So I've got on a coat and tie and I'm doing this whole formal thing. And at the end of it, I run and I jump and I do a mudslide literally to the bottom of the hill. Sure. I got mud friggin' everywhere. People were saw it. They're cracking up. And, and, uh, as a matter of fact, Billy Packer one time told me, he goes, he goes, I was walking through the airport and he goes, Chris. And I, I was so late for a flight. I was just going to give him the, yo, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, yo, and I, looked, I was like, Oh, Billy, how you doing? So I said, I'll stop for you. And he goes, I got to tell you a story. Because I know you're in a hurry, I gotta tell you a story. He said, every year, my family loves tennis. 
We watch tennis all the time. We, we love tennis. He goes, every year at Thanksgiving, when we all get together, there's only one tradition that we have. One tradition. I swear to you, this is true. Every year, my family pulls out the tape of you doing the mudslide at Wimbledon. <laughs> it is like our common bond. We watch it. I go, get out of here. He goes, I'm telling you the truth. We watch that every single year that we do that. So anyway, so it sounds like it was a great thing and a lot of fun. Ross Greenberg, at the end of the thing, he comes back and he calls me in his office. And he said, um, Chris, he goes, I understand why you did the, the feature the way you did. He goes, I think you have a chance to be really good in this business. And he said, but you don't want to be the clown. I mean, it's okay to be funny or try to be funny, but you don't want to be the clown. You want to be the one that's taken seriously. And uh, it's, it's way easier to try and be the clown. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's more fun. It's like this, it's like, but there are some people that are born to do that. Terry Bradshaw was born to make human beings laugh, you know, not, and he just so happened to win four Super Bowls yes. <laughs> along the way, but he was born to make people laugh. And I, and I, I can't tell you how many times that has rung in my head over the years that you just go, you know, there's way more people that are, that want something smart than they, you know, they want a bad comedian to try and make them laugh. There's a lot of people trying to do that out there on television. And I just, so I thought that was, I thought it was really good. I thought it was hard for him to do it to me, but I thought it was heartfelt and it was, it really served me well. Chris, you're the man. I really appreciate the time. Um, congrats on, um, you know, PFF being a, an amazing success with under your stewardship. Congrats on your son and his career as it's going. I mean, that's got to be an immense amount of pleasure for you and Holly and everyone else in your family. And congrats on everything. I appreciate your your friendship and joining this pod. Truly. You're Thank my you. pal, man. Do anything for you. Thanks, Chris Collinsworth. Thank you. That's Chris Collinsworth right here on Just Getting Started. Well, that wraps up the final conversation of this 10-part series of Just Getting Started on the origin stories of Voices of the NFL. And this has been um, a labor of love, man. There's just no other way to put it. And uh, like I said, I I've known Chris since he started calling the games for NFL Network in 2006 on Thursday Night Football with Brian Gumbel. And, you know, I know he was talking about how difficult it was to call play-by-play. -play. It was Brian Gumbel's, you know, his brother Greg is still uh, a voice of the NFL on CBS and uh, someone who's called several Super Bowls for CBS, but Bryant was not known for play-by-play -play at all. If Brian Gumbel's known for anything, and he should be and is in certain parts of this industry of the NFL, it was for the pregame show that he hosted on NBC while – the NFL today on CBS with Brent Musburger was creating sports TV history in its own right. And Brian Gumbel is one of the first voices of the NFL. So for him to come out of his, if you will, lane being the real sports anchor and former Today Show anchor 
and somebody not associated with calling down in distances for him to do that, certainly for the NFL Network, was monstrously big for us at the NFL Network, which you know, at the time, and this was always something that bothered me and still does and bothers all of us at the NFL Network, that we're not allowed to have our own voice, that the man, the NFL, will not allow us to speak about coaches' decisions being wrong and referees making the wrong call or owners hiring the wrong coach or so on and so forth. So, you know, there was a big question that when Collinsworth was going to be calling these games with somebody, that whoever was calling the games would have an unbesmirchable resume that would never in a million years be thought to be a mouthpiece for the NFL and parrot a company line and not call it as he sees it. So for Brian Gumble to say, I'll call those games was huge for us. Huge. And I loved getting to meet him. I'll never forget as, you know, Chris Collinsworth said he was doing two a week, Thursday night for NFL network and Sunday night for, for NBC and, when he was doing the games on Thursday night, he was doing the the studio show initially for NBC before Madden retired and he went up into the booth with Al. And I had no idea, by the way, that the first thought that NBC would go with uh, for Sunday night football was Madden and Collinsworth together. And then, you know, Al Michaels popped free and he went with Al Michaels, Dick Eversole. I'd never heard that story. But for 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 Chris... And for Bryant, Bryant would call the Thursday game and then Chris would leave to do the Sunday NBC. We would do in the first couple of years of NFL Network, it wasn't just Thursday night only, it was Thursday, Saturday. It was the the package would start on Thanksgiving night. Right now it's all season long. But when it started in 2006, it was Thanksgiving night was when it would start. And then there would be a Saturday game right after it. The whole concept was a run up to the playoffs package on NFL Network that, hey, cable networks and cable operators that wouldn't get NFL network, you're missing out and your subscribers are going to miss out. And those are those cable war days for NFL network that caused me to lose some of this up here. But we would do Thursday, Saturdays and Chris would go do the NBC stuff. And we would have, I think Dick Vermeil called a few Saturday games and we had a, just a rotating analyst that Chris would, Chris would sometimes call a Saturday game too. And then go overnight to NBC on a Sunday. So Chris would sometimes do three in a week, but sometimes it was just um, uh, Bryant and Dick Vermeule or Bryant and someone else. Anyway, the reason why I'm telling you the story is from a Thursday night one time, I'll never forget this, Thursday night we were in St. Louis. It was the night Fast Willie Parker actually broke his leg and his career kind of changed after that. It was St. Louis and Pittsburgh. And then we flew to Carolina for Carolina. And I forget who Carolina was playing in that game. And we're on an overnight charter flight and it's it's late man i mean it's like one in the morning where wheels up and brian's got to call a game in two days and he takes out his boards as chris just mentioned what you have in front of you isn't just 
a manila envelope that you open up and, you know, a folder, manila folder that you open up and scribble names on. It's just this beautiful big board with names and stats and numbers and what have you that is laid out like an NFL team is. So the defensive line is here and the linebackers are here and the cornerbacks are here. And then you flip it over and the offensive line is here and the quarterback is here and the running backs there and the wideouts are here. It looks like an actual, you know, play for an NFL lineup on the field at any rate. He takes those boards out, Bryant, and then a red duffel, a red duffel bag. And I'm sitting right across from him. I'm thinking, I got to get some sleep. I mean, we're not going to get into Carolina until three in the morning. And then we got a meeting the next day. And it's just tough. But I need to get some rest. But if Bryant's staying out, maybe I should do some studying too. And Bryant takes out this red duffel bag, calls over the flight attendant, and asks for orange juice. Okay. What's Brian up to? As the orange juice is being brought to him, he unzips the red duffel bag and inside is a monster fifth of vodka. And he turns to me, he goes, you want a screwdriver? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, Brian Gumbel is offering me a screwdriver made from orange juice from the flight attendant and from this craft service here in the plane. And from a fifth of vodka that he brought on the plane in a, in a red zipped, uh, zipped up duffel bag. Hell yeah, I'm going to have a screwdriver with Brian Gumbel. And we did. Yeah, just it was not like we didn't get hammered. It wasn't the whole, I guess that was the only thing that was available that he could purchase was this big bottle of vodka. But he just poured a drink and just anybody else want one? Couldn't have been more just cool and chill. Brian freaking Gumbel calling games. And it just, that story kind of came to light with Chris telling his story. And, uh, you know, I just love these stories that you hear on this podcast of so many people in our business that uh, you've heard names mentioned by many people, um, same names, because our industry, the television industry, the broadcasting industry, it's a it's a small community. And that's one thing that I learned when I, you know, was at Northwestern Medill School of Journalism is like it's a it's a small community. And you've got to be great to everyone that you meet, not only because that's the, what the human being thing is to do, but you need to you need to make sure that the people that you meet on day one, uh, you treat with respect because on day 1000 and year 20, they might be running a network or they're going to hear about the way you talk to other people or handle your business. It's a small world, but it's a team world where producers behind the scenes make things go and make the job of the people that you hear and see on television or on the radio or wherever you take in your shows that they are broadcasting in a manner that brings an entire show and game together directors camera operators stats everybody who works behind the scenes in the trucks around the production trucks in operations and travel and so on and so forth. It's a huge operation and everybody needs a break and everybody needs some luck, but it also requires on air a very, very, very strenuous work ethic in order to succeed. And you also have to have a gumption. So I have been asking everyone what's the best piece of advice is 
advice that they've received. I'm going to leave anybody who's, if you've taken in this podcast, because it's something that you want to learn from because you want to get in this business. That's the whole idea of just getting started. The reason why it was created is to give you the listener, or if you're watching on my YouTube channel, Rich Eisen Show YouTube channel, the viewer, to give you something portable to take away so you can use something as you just get started in your new business, new venture, if you want to try something, something portable. Well, this being just a specific 10-part series on Voices of the NFL and very broadcast television, broadcast sports television, broadcast heavy, I'll leave you with two pieces of advice that I give to people when they ask me for mine. And the first is never take no for an answer. Don't. If somebody tells you no, don't take it personally and don't take it for an answer. You have no idea if they've had a bad day. You don't have any any idea if they've had a bad day, woke up on the wrong side of the bed and was just being mean. Honestly, I've had people who just mean to me trying to get ahead in this business, trying to get started in the business. They were just mean, flat out mean. Um, They also might not have had a job right then and there. It's nothing personal. Sometimes it could have been. I don't know. But just don't take no for an answer. Just because you're told no right now does not mean you're not good enough to be in this business. You just have to try harder. You got to try again. You've got to try a different way to try harder or a different way to try again. And there's so many different ways for you to get started in this business as opposed to when I got started. There was no YouTube. There was no, I mean, the internet was truly just getting started, to use that phrase. There was no internet. There was no podcasts. There was no way to do it yourself. And that's the other thing that I want to leave you with. This is the mantra I tell all my colleagues on the Rich Eisen show is we've just had to get started on my show again. I mean, in 2019, we were told we were done by AT&T and we just got started on something new. We just put our nose to the grindstone. I would not take no for an answer. And then here's the other, the other um, uh, axiom piece of advice is if not you, then who? And if not now, when? It's got to be you. You have to be the one to make your break. And if not now, then when are you going to try it? So do it. Just do it. Don't listen to doubts. Don't listen to anyone who tells you about how long the odds are. I mean, just think about how many breaks that you heard during these 10 episodes that you heard that were luck, but also self-made Jim Nance deciding to knock on the door of an NBC truck of Don Olmeyer and ask for him. Don Olmeyer was as big a producer in this business as ever been as he was at the time when Jim Nance, a university of Houston student decided to knock on his door, you know, uh, Kevin Harlan, a 19 year old producer of the chief's radio pregame show while he's a student at the University of Kansas, decides to write a note to John Facenda at NFL Film saying, hey, would you mind voicing the show open of my of my local radio show? And Facenda did it. If not him, then who? And if not at that time, then when are you going to try it? 
So don't take no for an answer. And if not you, who? And if not now, when? Those are my two pieces of advice for anybody out there. Thanks for taking in this uh, this 10-part series of Just Getting Started. It's been a labor of love. Check out all the episodes previous to this one with Chris Collinsworth, who I thank. And I want to thank everybody else for putting this all together. Uh, I want to thank my producer, Lou Pellegrino, and Robert Borowski, along with Sarah McCrory, putting these shows together. I want to thank you guys. Thank you. Uh, Teresa Gage and her hard work and crew to uh, make sure that all the sponsors are happy. And I want to thank you for taking it in. Appreciate you uh, listening to Just Getting Started, and we'll see you next time.